Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. If you're anything like Sayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Preck. And today our guest is Stuart Heath. And a little bit about Stuart, he is the CEO of Harvard Grace Capital and is a passionate entrepreneur and leader with over 35 years of experience transforming organizations into efficient operations with a path to profitability. He has been a real estate investor for more than 20 years and is experienced with commercial and multifamily development, construction, management, and investing. So Stuart, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm very honored to be here. Thank you so much, Stuart. I'm so glad that we're here today. Uh, and I'm really interested in learning about your path to real estate and how you got to where you are today. So if we'd like to start off by sharing a little bit more about your background and how you got started in real estate. Sure. Yeah. Well, my background uh for the most part, be summed up that I'm a CPA. I'm a certified public accountant, which don't tend to be the most entrepreneurial or aggressive investors in the world. Uh, I don't necessarily fit that mold. But what got me interested in real estate actually goes back to when I was 11 years old and my grandfather had passed, my mother's father, and I was just sitting at a kitchen table listening to my parents discuss some property that my mother had inherited along with her brothers and sisters. And it was uh, timberland in uh, central Alabama where my mother grew up. And my father was talking about the possibilities. And so even at an early age, I was really interested in finances and business and, and tried to understand you know where wealth came from. And my mother was much more emotionally tied up into the property because when she was a little girl, she and her brothers and sisters had actually planted the timber that was on this land after my grandfather had just harvested it. So um, she uh, recollected being out there many days in the summer, uh, day after day, planting little pine seedlings. In, and she was young and it was hot and it was tiring. And so, um, so uh, again, it was emotional to her and my father, who was also a CPA, it was just sort of matter of fact, says, yeah, well, uh, it's worth X number of dollars, <laughs> so, which is what captured my imagination. And and, and uh, like I said, that was when I was 11. And when I, a few years later, when I was in college, they actually harvested that timber and replanted again. And so it may be my children that get to harvest that timber here in not too many years. But all of that captured my imagination. Uh, it, it made begin. It planted the seed and, and made it where I could, began to think about. All right, how does this whole property thing work? And what I became convinced of was um, uh, the uh, you know the longevity of real estate, 
uh, how it can really grow in value without a whole lot of work or attention, um, not neglect by any stretch, but but how it can uh, it can do what it's supposed to do without a constant daily management. Later on in life, after college and early in my career, I had real estate developers as clients, and then that sort of really triggered my creative juices, and so I really got interested in real estate development, and so that just sort of piled on to the value, the wealth creation of real estate. And then then real estate has also been just sort of where I've I've been able to allow my creative side to come, you know, be expressed as in the development projects that I've done. And so that's how I got started. That's the beginning. And then really in, in about the year 2000, I began uh, investing in real estate opportunities in earnest, starting with one duplex and then just kept adding on. Awesome. Yeah. Just like you said, you know, it all starts with a little seedling. You plant the seeds and then over time, they're going to grow into these giant plants and you'll reap the benefits of it. You'll be able to see whatever happens, the fruits of your labor pretty much. Right. So Stuart, after you had mentioned, you know, you got introduced to real estate development and that kind of spurred the interest in real estate. And then you started investing in like single, single family homes, duplexes. Uh, how did you get started in that? And then when did you actually dive deeper into like the development side? And what did you do after that? Sure. Uh, as I said, I was really in the year 2000, I was fairly frustrated with my CPA career and I had my own practice and um, uh, I and my partner were respected and uh, it just simply was not fulfilling and kind of interesting. I, I'll tell a story myself sitting around one night, you know, late night TV. Uh, I watched an infomercial probably that I'd seen bits and pieces of from Carlton sheets, which probably predates a lot of your viewers. And he had a program out called no money down. And it, it's not too much different from a lot of the products that are out there, but he was one of the first and, you know, it was $199 money back guarantee. I said, so there at two o'clock in the morning, I dialed the number and I got it and I started listening. Well, this is good stuff. And it came with a lot of resources. And so I followed his program, which at the time was, you know, when, when we used to have newspapers, uh, I went through classifieds and I looked at something that was for sale and I went and talked to the seller. And sure enough, I talked myself into buying a duplex in Franklin, Tennessee, for little or no money down, I think I had to pay some closing costs and got the seller to take back the note for the first year. And I was a real estate investor. And 10 years later, I made $60,000 on that little duplex. And it was interesting. I didn't stop there. My next deal was through the same process, found another uh, classified ad. A guy had a group of 14 duplexes and he is a famous real estate coach that's out there today who was in the Nashville market. I won't tell y'all who it is, but uh, anyway, he was selling some of his assets. We did a deal. And and so next thing I did, I took down 14 duplexes. And so between that and next thing, you know, I had 30 units and I liked it. And I liked dealing with tenants. And I had another client at the time who was struggling in the home building business. By this time, it's like 2004. and what he needed was some credit. So I and my partner and another man came together and we began to uh, 
participate in his home building and spec homes by guaranteeing credit. And we got him to do other things. And by the next year, I was just really into this and I went and got a contractor's license. So I have built houses and things of that nature. So I just kept adding and building on. And I did run into trouble about 2007, 2008, which if you look at my media flyer, you know, because, you know, we ended up losing everything in, in the fun, in the crash of 2008, 2009. Uh, and because while I was loving it and while it was operating, you know, I was doing all of this on my own credit and, you know, didn't really have partners involved. And, and it was just, um, it was a incorrect way to go about real estate investing. Uh, and so I've learned some things, even though we've recovered, got a thriving business now. And, but still, I love the real estate. We've got an office building deal we're working on now. And what happened really in the early 2000s, I would have bankers come to me and just say, you know, whatever you want to borrow, whatever you want to borrow. And literally, they would loan me almost everything I asked. And I see a little bit of that going on today. I had a call literally yesterday saying, hey, I've got 3.25% money for 10 years. Just tell me what you want. And it's almost scary, but that's not how we're doing deals now. We're doing deals with proper equity and capital and reserves. And so uh, when, when the crash came through, lines of credit were taken away, people were losing their jobs and not able to pay rent and uh, very much like um, if you were holding the wrong kind of property when the pandemic hit, uh, you know, 18 months ago, you have to be prepared for the downside. Got it. And so prior to the 2007-2008 crash, your net worth was almost $10 million. Is that correct? That's correct. And um, actually pulled a financial statement for a bank on a deal I was working on as of June the 30th, 2008. And based upon appraised values and no manipulation of the numbers, I had a net worth in excess of $10 million. And about 90 days later, if if you were around, you recall, there was a presidential campaign that year. And I think Lehman Brothers had already crashed. And about a month after that, it was July, end of July, early August, when Countrywide Mortgage suddenly announced that they couldn't fund the mortgages they had committed to at the at the end of uh, the month. So yeah, 90 days later, uh, everything was upside down. John McCain said we needed to pause the campaign and go back to Washington and and address the emergency. And nine days later, I, I estimate that I was $5 million underwater yeah, because credit had disappeared. And of course, credit is inextricably tied to the value of real estate properties and all of 99.9% of my net worth was related to real estate and those values, they just crashed. And so then is it, what do you think was the attributor to, you know, if you were to look back now um, from that lessons those that you've learned from that experience, what was kind of the major driver for what happened? Do you think, was it just the economy? Do you think it was over leveraging, not having the right tenant base or what kind of experience or what kind of lessons did you learn from that? that sure. You apply going forward? Great question. Uh, first and foremost, it's my fault. I am a CPA and I was investing in ways that I would have staunchly disagreed with clients doing. I was just simply not being prudent. 
I had seen other clients get away with it. Uh, it had worked for me for several years because, you know, I'd buy this group of properties and I'd wait 18 months and they would go up in value and I would do a cash out refi and go buy something else. It wasn't like I was um, living all that high. I was just trying to build the empire. But it's the first and foremost, it's my fault. I was engaging in way too much leverage with no reserves. Uh, there is no, if you're an investor and you're obsessed with IRR and you're putting your deal together and and you take that cash reserve money out of the front end of the deal, hey, your IRR gets better. But you might just be saving your IRR completely if you just have some reserves built in or an agreement with your investors that, that they come in when the unthinkable happens. Was there some unfortunate circumstances? Absolutely. It was still, even then these weird times, it was, they were very unusual times back then. The government bailing everybody out except the real estate guys. They were buying out the banks who are bailing out the banks who had lent money, <laughs> but you know it wasn't flowing any downhill. My whole issue was capital structure and lack of reserves. And I think in conversation with somebody not too long ago, uh, I hadn't really thought about this. I think for as little as a half a million dollars, you know, the gross value of all the real estate was plus $20 million and the net worth of uh, $10 million. So half a million dollars was not all that. But with reserves of a half million dollars, I would have been able to made it through. I would have been able to done deals with banks and stuff like that. But I was just uh, caught with nowhere to go. I think uh, at the time, Warren Buffett made the comment, well, now we're going to see who's been swimming without their trunks on because literally the tide went out of the economy. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Thank you so much for sharing, Stuart. Sure. And so through that experience, you know, a lot of people, after going through something like that, they would be, I guess, disheartened by real estate. They wouldn't be as motivated anymore. They would be like, oh, that's too risky. I'm going to pull out. I'm going to try something different. But that wasn't the case with you, it seems like, because you started continuing on and you didn't let this experience hold you back and stop you, but instead you took those experiences, you learned from it. So for you, what kind of motivated you to continue investing in real estate and why did you still believe in the asset class? A good question. Yeah. My oldest daughter who had to live through all of this with me asked me the same thing uh, a couple of years ago. And the problems that I created and I went didn't have anything to do with real estate. Real estate is the oldest asset in the world, literally, and has created more wealth uh, generation after generation than anything that's ever been there before. 
tech people love to say that tech's rivaling that in, you know, in 500 years, let's have that conversation. So again, I've got an analytical mind. I know it's not the asset that's the problem. It was the capital structure that was my problem. All assets come and go. I mean, just look at the stock market in the in the month of September. Uh, all you know, all of them go up and down in value. You go through bad times. So, and that's what investing is. It's forward looking. It's not trading. So, I had the same problem on the other side of the financial crisis that I did in 2001 when I first started to begin with. I needed a way to build wealth. And I had my consulting firm, my CPA firm. And honestly, I had no desire really to build a big firm and hire a bunch of people and do that that way. That had really never been my plan. So I still had the same problem. And real estate is still the best asset class out there for investing that you can leverage up with debt and get 100% of the gain and pay three to 5% for the cost of that capital to get into it. So again, I was the problem. It wasn't the asset that was the problem. And so with a proper capital structure and doing things prudently, real estate's a great asset. So, and nothing's going to change that. And for you, after the whole event that you went through, you know, what were some of the steps that you took to start rebuilding your portfolio and get started again in real estate? Yeah, I did get the chance to look at what I liked and what I didn't like. And first thing I had to do, clean up my credit and which was difficult for the first three or four years. But fortunately, I'm educated. I have a license. You know, I have a pretty good ability to earn an income. So um, that was not insurmountable. And then I had to rebuild some network of people who were interested in getting back into doing some deals. But I, I sort of recognized I didn't really like residential rentals, especially the scattered where it's everywhere and people are difficult. And to the point that I'm really not 100% interested in multifamily, although um, I will look at that. I, I've our focus is a little bit different than other investors who do one particular asset class. Our focus right now is in the Tennessee Valley. So we're, we're looking at several different types of asset classes in the Tennessee Valley, primarily centered around Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, so I, got, I didn't like building or um, doing, I guess, um, mid-level houses. Uh, yeah, there were just an awful lot of risk with an awful lot of hassle with not too much margin. And that was a great experience and I, and I learned a lot, but so I stayed away from that, but I do like development. And so again, that gets the uh, creative side going and just playing more margin in development than there is in construction. So I have been able to pursue what I really like and what's really high margin projects as well as stay away from the things I don't like. So Awesome. And so especially during COVID time, uh, people are looking at real estate and possibly development as being an interesting, being an interesting time during COVID. You know, there was a lot of speculation about there's going to be a crash and this. So for you and your perspective and what you're seeing in the development side, how do you think that it's looking like in terms of performance in the near future? Sort of the general real estate market? Yes. Uh, sure. Well, first and foremost, all real estate is local. 
and we see that throughout the South. And you know, every investor understands that. There are just certain parts of town you don't want to own stuff. So we get that. In general, and and I don't know about in your area, but again, all throughout the South, what we're seeing right now is, especially in the residential side, is uh, people paying and bidding over appraisal for any house that comes in the market. We've got such little inventory and people are paying $50,000 over appraisal or whatever. You know, my my oldest son did a deal last year and he went through 12 uh, houses before he got one. And and against my advice, he bid 25K over and, and he got it and it appraised and everything's good and, and it's it's a good deal. But I would just say that's just against my religion to go to bid over asking price. And so that's where I hear a lot of people saying there's a bubble. And that's not my view because there's no inventory. And if you got a big run up of, in, of pricing and then there are a lot of product come on the market trying to take advantage of that. Yeah, I'm going to say you're going to end up with, with a bubble. But in most markets that I'm familiar with, and mostly their southern markets, Nashville, Birmingham, Charlotte, um, Atlanta, there's hardly any inventory to be had. So it is a seller's market. And I mean, it's, this is just economics 101. And so I don't see that there's a bubble. I do sort of hope it slows down a little bit because I do think some people may get in trouble on individual properties because should they get in trouble and have to sell, they may end up taking a loss. But I haven't seen a deal that I don't think people will come out of it in five years is if you can afford the mortgage, you know, you're going to be fine. But if you have a a loss of income or something like that, some people who are recently in a property may have trouble. But I don't see a bubble. I, I think generally the real estate market uh, is quite healthy. I'm an office investor, which sounds crazy to people in Chicago or some of the other cities who've been more locked down. But I'm in the Nashville market and the Huntsville market, and there's hardly anything open or available. Uh, it's I know down in Huntsville, you can probably you can practically pre-lease an entire building before it's even out of the ground. So um, again, all real estate is local. So sorry for a long-winded answer to your question. No problem. And so I'd love to ask you as well, for investing in office spaces, what about this asset class excites you? That's a good question. I think my own personal preference of dealing with business people, and I get the mathematics and the predictability of a multifamily where every transaction is about the same because you've got fixed units. But I like meeting business people. I like going through their business models. And I like meeting folks you know, who do different things to, to make a living. And I almost feel like it's an unsung hero. It's, it's a sleeper class, especially suburban office. Because even before the pandemic, uh, the trend of, of millennials moving downtown had already begun to reverse and it was somewhat accelerated in a lot of markets. And so, which just made suburban office uh, buildings more popular. Most anybody who's built a company or trying to build a company understand that you cannot build a company culture with folks at home on the sofa. There's nothing wrong with remote work. And I think we're going to be in a hybrid workforce forever. But companies need places for employees to come together. And I just don't think that's going to change. In a, you know, uh, Google has come to Nashville. Amazon has come to Nashville. And Oracle has come to Nashville. And that's why there's no office space available here. 
here. You know, you'd, you'd think these tech companies would just eat up remote workers, but no, they, they know the importance of building company culture and therefore office space is going to be needed forever. It's going to be different, but they're going to need it. So Stuart, how has real estate investing impacted your life? Well, I've already shared a, um, a fair amount of the good or the bad part, but personally, it has provided me with, uh, with income and I've made some money along the way too. So it's been financially beneficial to me and it's given me the ability to meet people through teaching and coaching that I do as well about that, which I thoroughly enjoy. And it's been a creative out for me. Along the way, I've flipped a few houses and and I, we sold one last year that was just a tiny little house in the town where I live. And, and it had literally been picked up for about $50,000. And I just sat and looked at it. I thought about it for a while. And over the course of a few months and about uh, $10,000 later, we sold it for $95,000. Just And I chalked that up to the creativity. It had hardwood floors that had been covered up uh, with carpet. We pulled that out and had them finished and changed out appliances. Uh, you know, you just look at it and apply what somebody else want and had some good luck and stuff. And every flipper knows this. And that was almost a double in a fairly short period of time. So in a word, real estate's fun. You can make a huge impact financially and on somebody else's life too, but just by paying a little bit of attention. And what is one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? <laughs> My conviction is that, and this is true of all businesses, but real estate's the problem because it is so leverageable, that even if you're having fun with it, you have to approach it with discipline. Uh, capital structure is so critical. I actually I mentioned a call from a banker yesterday, and he actually offered me a uh, on a particular project I'm working on, up to 85% leverage. And I said, that ain't going to happen. I said, I'm never doing that again. I said, we might go to 75, but our, right now we were raising money to do a 70% equity. Uh, and because it ceases to be fun <laughs> when you're going underwater each month. But that's the one thing that I wish I had been disciplined on and had counsel around me. But I was a loner and I did all of that by myself. And had I made it through, I probably wouldn't be very much fun to be around because my head wouldn't fit in this room. But we didn't. And I learned. And that's the one thing I wish I'd made. And so then what is one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? Yeah, I think it's discipline. Because at the end of the day, real estate is a numbers game. The most successful people are ones that, that add vision to uh, they see what a property can be and they understand the path to get there. Uh, I mean, that's your everyday flipper. I mean, you see people buy houses that uh, we don't want to park in front of much. Let's walk by. They turn it into something beautiful and make money at it. But even that requires discipline because you have to, you have to know what you're going to spend before you go into something like, and that's true of any commercial property. Uh, somebody who's uh, doing a value-add multifamily deal. You just can't go in there and put marble countertops in every unit unless you know what the rents are going to be. And so it's where it takes the vision. Uh, it always takes a, a lot of guts. 
but vision and discipline. A lot of people can see the vision of what something can be, but then to translate that back to a um, a budget that you stick to is what makes the best the best. And do you have a tool or technique that you use particularly that has improved the efficiency of your business or your personal life that you can share with us today? I do use a uh, a tool called um, Property Analyzer. It's a cloud-based tool and you just drop in that. It's rather routine and it helps me think through things because I'm a, I tend to be a, um, a back of the napkin kind of an analyzer and Really, what I use it for is just a checklist, and it goes back to that discipline thing, because uh, even when you're estimating, which the process of, of analyzing a real estate deal is fun. You know, I keep coming back to that word, but you know, when you really get down to it, it's a good checklist or, or an analyzer, that, and it does calculations for you and things. So that's how I do it, and it keeps me in check. Awesome. Well, Stuart, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And definitely we can learn so much from all the lessons so that we can apply it to our own real estate journey as well. So thank you so much for sharing all of that today. Thank you. I am very grateful uh, for you having me on your show. So Stuart, if our listeners wanted to find out more about you, where's the best place that they can go? I would direct people to harvardgracecapital.com. We're, um, I'm also on LinkedIn under Harvard Grace or under my name, Stuart Heath, Facebook. You know, I'm everywhere. But the easiest place is harvardgracecapital.com. That's all spelled out one word. Thank you so much again, Stuart. Thank you. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.